This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a blog, website, portfolio, or online store. To create your own space, visit squarespace.com and save 10% by using offer code TREK11. And also by Audible, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Plus, if you'd like to support our programming personally, visit trek.fm slash donate to get our alien badges and art prints, featuring original illustration by Tobu Ushi. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Literary Treks, our Star Trek books and comics show. I'm Christopher Jones, and coming to us, as he is every week from Texas, is my co-host, Matthew Rushing. Matthew, how have things been going this week? You know, they've been going pretty well, Chris, uh, although uh, today was the uh, first really cold day, and so, mm. and, and I don't mean just like, oh, it was in the, like, you know 60s but it it's not a florida cold no break. no it was it was in the 30s this morning when i was out of the train station so it was time to pull out the uh, trusty old harry potter scarf that i've got it's really long and the wool coat uh to stand at the train station you know when it's about it was about 30 this morning so it was it was chilly but it actually feels nice so i enjoy it now, do you use platform nine and three quarters to get to your office? Uh, you know, I wish I did because I'd probably be going somewhere just a tad more interesting uh, and magical. But uh, no, I, I just <laughs> use the normal dart rail here in Dallas. <laughs> oh. Speaking of trains, you know, in the feature today, we're going to talk about the Best of Klingons comic that IDW just released. And I love that in the newer comic that's in there, we actually get to see the train system on Kronos. I yeah. thought that was really I, interesting. Who knew <laughs> that Klingons, uh, you know, uh, in Star Trek VI time period, use a train system still, uh, you know, a monorail system. And if it's not broke, I guess don't fix it. So, um, I guess it, it was interesting for me to see with the, you know, they've even got the handles there yeah. for you to hold on to uh, in case it They got their rocks. own subway yeah. uh, system, even though it's not yeah. on the ground and, so maybe part of it is, who knows? Uh, but I thought that was very interesting choice. That and, it, and what's funny is it, it kind of ends up a little bit like Batman Begins, the big old fight in the train. And anyway, we'll get to it later. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that later on. Yeah. Well, let's jump into news this week, and we really only have one news item, and then we're going to talk about the second issue of the Con Comics, which just came out, and share our thoughts on that. The news item we have is something that I was really, really glad to see, because we talked about this when we had David R. George III on 
the show a few weeks ago, and we were talking about the new Deep Space Nine and how we would love to be able to see more details about the station and the plans, you know, hoping that maybe at some point they'll do a blueprint book. But we're not to that yet. But Doug Drexler has shared some really fantastic images with everyone on Facebook. He did. Um, and it was great to see him do this. You know, you obviously they had had a lot of material working through and I thought it was great that he just decided to put that up on Facebook for all the fans. Uh, even uh, had a, a preview letter about what David had talked about with him, you know, in, in creating uh, the, the idea for the new Deep Space Nine, what he had written, where he was kind of going to go with it, and, and putting all that together as those three creative guys get together to create the new Deep Space Nine. And so um, some great pictures in here too, you know, just giving us an idea of, of especially that big middle part that looks a little bit like a, a big ball, an idea of what is what, you know, so the recreation field being in there, the where the main promenade is, um, the fact that under the promenade there's apartments and, and apparently hiking and bike paths and stuff like that so and, and yeah. honestly park benches ex, ex, you can't you can't have you know hiking and and and, and bike paths what i think i feel like without some park benches you know you got to be able to sit down every once in a while and take a nap and this station is huge so you know uh, i i feel like those bike paths might be miles long you know what it reminds me of a little bit though this one scene here where they do show the um it's like a it's the curvature of the station and you have the just the glass mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where you can see from space yes. inside and, and what we're talking about here with the parks and everything it reminds me a little bit of apple's new spaceship campus that they're preparing to build it does remind me of that so i think that's interesting that um in some ways we're building that kind of uh, technology and, and just like architecture here on earth so but uh what's really cool is that some of these pictures are big enough to put on your monitor at work and uh, use as a great background so if you just really have been itching to have some great pictures of the new deep space nine to you know use as wallpaper these are these are really well done images fantastic um, very beautiful and big enough to do that as well i actually have some at work and I really enjoy it. And yeah, it's cool. really, really nice. If you put this on your iPad, you can take one of those larger pictures and kind of, you know, pinch and zoom so you can see things even up, even more up close, which is really cool uh -huh. as well. Um, kind of give it a, a better look inside, like, um, say, the uh, recreation center. Kind of zoom in there yeah. and see what that looks like and all that, so... I should say, if you are an OS X user anyway, and you have a magic trackpad, as I do, uh, you can yes. do that same pinch and zoom right there yes. in Safari yes. as you're on Facebook as well. So quite nice. It's uh, it's great to see Doug doing this now that he's not publishing the Dregs files anymore, which was his fantastic blog that he used to publish. And he stopped doing that. Uh, he hopefully will start doing it again at some point in the future. This is the kind of material that he used to share on the Dregs files. And since that has gone away, we haven't been able to enjoy this background information and stuff from him in the way that we used to. So I'm really, really happy to see him publish all of this here on Facebook anyway. Well, and it's really neat because in a lot of ways, it doesn't take very much for these guys to, to be able to do something like this. Um, and uh, it shows that, you know, you, you really could on, on StarTrek.com do a great, 
you know, article about the new Deep Space Nine, have these guys give you an, kind of an inside view, some schematic views, where things are, all this kind of stuff. Give us those little, you know, those nice little lines that tell us, okay, the rec deck is here, the, the, the promenade is here, crew quarters are here, you know, all that kind of stuff to kind of give us that visual idea of, of where things are in this new station. Um, it's yeah. the it's the only frustration, honestly, with reading any of the new books on the new DS9 because you used to be really familiar with what everything looked like, and now it's great when somebody is explaining it to you, you know, in words. But a picture is worth a thousand words when it comes to interior right. design of something like a space station or a spaceship. Yeah, so if you haven't started reading the fall series yet, going and checking these out can really help you along. Exactly. You get a little bit more into the scenes mm -hmm. as they're being described to you. So this is really, really cool. We'll put a link to this in the show notes. And uh, I just can't wait to see where things go from here. And hopefully with the resurgence of nonfiction Star Trek books, someone like 47 North, maybe they will work together with CBS to, and Doug to produce, you know, a real book and blueprints of the station. Ooh, I'd love that. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> that would be great. All right, Matthew. Well, that's the only news item that we have this week in books. So let's go ahead and jump into the con comic number two, which you can tell from the cover right away that uh, some serious stuff is going to go down in this comic. And we should tell everyone, first of all, spoiler alert, because this comic did just come out. We are going to talk about the comic. We won't give away too much uh, of the plot here, but we will talk about a number of details that you might not want to hear if you haven't read it yet. So uh, if you're planning to read it, go ahead and grab it and uh, read through, and then you can listen to our thoughts on it. So Matthew, what what did you think, your initial thoughts on this? Well, initial thoughts, one, are, are again, the, the artist that they've got, Paul Shipper, doing the cover art. This is just fantastic work. I mean, a great cover art to spend, obviously, this much to have this kind of um, artwork uh, at the beginning of a comic, you know, it, it doesn't really have, it sets the tone for the comic itself, I think. You know, yeah. you, it, we're not supposed to judge books by their covers, but honestly, some of my favorite books came <laughs> because I judged the cover and I thought, you know, that looks interesting. I should pick that up and read it. You know, uh, well, two things. One, this cover art, it's like what you were talking about on the show last week when you were talking about the covers to Ill Wind and how you, you referenced the con comics, in fact, that they reminded you yes, what they're doing yes. here. But talking about judging a book by the cover, our colleague Philip from our TNG show, Earl Grey, did you see his tweet? It was a number of weeks ago when we were talking about the book covers from the fall series, and he tweeted, Literary Treks, where you do judge a book by its cover. It, Yeah, <laughs> I feel bad for saying it, but, you know... Um, it, it, Having worked at a bookstore, I feel like, you know, I've worked at Barnes & Noble, so I feel like I have a, a, a good idea of, of how this works. And it is true. I, I, I have literally picked up books because I liked the cover art, and it turned yeah, out to be it's, it's true. A, a favorite yeah. book of mine. And, and it drew me in in the same way that a good movie poster can do that or – you know, um, good cover art for a album, which is something that's gone out the wind window these days. So all yeah. of these things, the, these creative things help you um, package something and, and make it even more special and, and draw the, the person in. And so 
yeah. just artwork like this, I'm, I'm glad to see that uh, IDW is really taken to heart and, and done a great, great job with it. So, yeah, they have. Now you said you said good cover art for albums has gone out the window, Matthew. Haven't you seen the cover of Miley Cyrus's new album? How could you say that good cover art has gone out the window? Well, Chris, I guess um, I guess you know you guys in Japan, you all have a different idea of what good is aesthetically um, than we do in America. Obviously, Hello Kitty is huge there, um, and so <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, anyway, but. Uh, to what Philip was saying, you know, we're not in that discussion about the fall. We weren't judging the books by their covers. We were judging the covers themselves. Exactly. That's what we, we were being but, art critics. At that all right. Point. But the cover does set a good tone for this comic. And then uh, as we move in, what did you think? We jump right back into the trial. Yeah, I thought this was great. You know, um, you know, Kirk asks obviously a great question. Why? Why should we believe anything you say? And you get the feeling that there is a lot of this period of time that they do not have a lot of information on. Obviously, this is the eugenics wars, and, and then you will uh, have World War Three happen. So I don't think a lot of information from this time period really survives, which has been great for Star Trek because it can kind of make things up when it needs to. Um, and uh, But I really like that they, they do just pick up the story and, and just continue with it. How in the world do these kids that are obviously really smart, you know, faster than everyone in every way possible, you know, how is it that, that these people take over, um, you know, the world itself? And he does a great job of telling the story of how that happens. And one of them is mm-hmm. it's not just Khan and his people at this school these schools are actually all over the world and by slowly taking over their schools they're able to slowly take over the world as well and um they definitely play the long game here which was kind of interesting to see the whole comic is pretty much this long game of these characters slowly infiltrating and then taking over the world and so this comic is a lot slower than the first one was but i think it's probably something that's really necessary to see it's just not quite as exciting as what you got in the first issue i think what about you chris yeah maybe so although it's they cover a lot of time in here so you're really seeing flashpoints of the events like you're you're getting the cliff notes version of history basically of how the eugenics wars came about uh one thing that's very intriguing about this to me i guess is that it's it's all plausible it's all very plausible that you know when they're in the trial and Khan tells kirk you know what surprises you about what i'm saying the fact that there were secret schools turning genetically engineered children into killing machines the fact that private enterprise funded the programs in order to sell those killing machines to world governments or that those same killing machines rebelled against the scientists who bred them I'm sorry if my 20th century tale offends your 23rd century sensibilities, Captain, but the truth is the truth. And it's just the kind of thing that you could really, really see happening, right? Because even right now, you know, the U.S. military is, and I'm sure many militaries around the world, but the U.S. is the most technologically advanced, are looking into ways to either fight wars without putting actual people out there. They've looked in the past at ways to enhance soldiers. Now they're looking at uh, projecting holographic warriors onto a battlefield. Mm. All this kind of stuff, it's stuff that 
they will look into and whether they'll ever develop it or not, of course, remains to be seen. But what happened here that brought Khan to power and what's outlined in this story is very, very plausible that it that it really could happen. Yeah. Well, and, and what's funny, you just mentioned that it sounds like we're going to get to Armageddon game. We're going to have to have Kurt come and take away our computers and stop telling, you know, right. certain people they have right. to go die because um, that it, it does. It's um, I, I did think it was really interesting because um, when he says that to Kirk, it made me think that Kirk's immediately, I think w- his retort would be, it's not that it's implausible. It's just it's 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 a little bit unbelievable in some ways. But at the same time, Kirk has just kind of been through this with um, Admiral Marcus turning out to be kind of nefarious and the Section 31. And what's interesting reading through this con comic is that Kirk is about to go through this again in the ongoing series because Section 31 is hopefully about to get exposed coming up in that the Kittimer crisis that we've got going on. And so it's 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 an interesting juxtaposition because the story that's being told here is also kind of playing itself out in a different way now uh, in Kirk's own universe. Right. Let me ask you a question then. So do you think by the time we get to the end of the Khan series here, like you said, Kirk's thinking that, sure, it's possible, but maybe it's implausible, but then he just went through this with Admiral Marcus. Do you think by the time we get to the end of this that Kirk might sympathize with Khan in some way? Hmm, that's an interesting uh, thought. I, you know, I don't think he's going to though. Uh, well, I, I feel like it would be a big twist yeah, on Star Trek. It, if it would did, definitely be a big twist. But I think what this is going to do is kind of mirror the end of Into Darkness, where you really saw who Khan was. I mean, you you felt a little bit um, for him in the middle of the film, which you needed to. Um, but the, the con that we know and, and kind of expected to come back out came out at the end of the film. And I think we are seeing throughout this comic that you're really going to get um, uh, that con here. I mean, this is obviously, in fact, even at the end of this, mm-hmm. um, you get the birth of con. You know, he, he, he tells everybody, no, my... I want to go by a new name, and that that name is God. So, right, right. I think I think hmm. that's pretty an interesting thing. I don't know, Chris. What do you what do you think? I think you're probably right that that's how it will play out. Although, I don't know. I think it could be an interesting twist after what Kirk saw with Marcus. If somehow he he had a different understanding of of the events that led to Khan's rise to power and then what Khan did at the end. But maybe that would be a little bit more of a, a Battlestar Galactica type universe than a Star Trek universe. Where I, I don't I don't think they can take our captain there in the Star Trek universe. But Yeah, that would be quite different. Um what yeah what was also really interesting in this too is just to see the whole world at war with you know this you know they they detonate two nuclear weapons one in dc and the other one in moscow and they tell the world you know we're here we're going to take over but don't really fear us we're just here to rule benevolently and of course the world says uh screw that we're gonna fight you and the whole world goes to war 
and just terrible. I mean, the thought of of what the world would look like when this is over is is crazy. Right. Um, especially, yeah. uh, you, you know, you see these pictures of, um, I think this might be Chicago, maybe on it's uh, Chicago. Yeah. yeah and, mm-hmm. and just buildings falling down. I mean, it makes, I don't want to make light of nine 11, but it, it makes it look like, you know, child's play, uh, what's happening here. And so, well, because this scary. is a full scale assault yeah, that's exactly. going on as opposed to a single attack. Yeah. But, um, what I find interesting here, though, is I think it il- illustrates something that none of us really want to think about or admit, but just how fragile the world is. Because if you think about it, the way that these supermen announce to the world that everything's changing by taking out the capitals of the two strongest powers, I mean, that's, you know, that is something that could happen. Uh, and and everything would be different right away if if that happened. Can you imagine the chaos around the world? And I, I think that this story really illustrates how fragile our society is, especially as we, we become more and more interconnected and dependent upon technology. Yeah, and um, it, it's it shows you just how crazy it is too. I mean, the fact that they're able to say, you know, we're going to take out the two main powers now this is in 1992 um and, right. and so this it, is actually in our yeah. past as well and it's so then past, it yeah. really was still very much just two main powers and um i it, it's a little bit different even now i i don't, I don't know who that i guess the united states and i don't even know who might be the second largest power i think Russia still holds probably the second strongest influence over the most nations as the U.S., but it's definitely not like the Cold War era where everyone really fell underneath one umbrella or the other. Yeah, and this is, I don't know. Uh, what I, the other thing that I thought was really interesting, too, is is that we do see another part of in, Into Darkness here with the fact that these genetically enhanced human beings have created weapons that the rest of the world has you know nothing to stand against right now um and so very interesting because you know it it really leads into that idea that this is something that khan has been a part of is creating weapons of mass destruction um and and doing it well obviously um and yeah. so, uh, really, yeah, tying like these into the these film. Zeppelin type yeah. ships with the machine guns coming out of the sides on both sides, and yeah, there's some they have some hardware that the other militaries don't have. Yeah, the the one other thing that I would point out here is that this also illustrates how threats to our world have changed, and that. Khan tells everyone that we have control of your nuclear arsenals, but even if you could use them, there wouldn't be anyone for you to use them against because we're everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the changing nature. That's what we face today where, uh, you know, we there isn't one state. Uh, you know, the biggest threat to us is not really a nation state anymore. It's individuals and small groups, just like what this group of, of supermen here led by Khan uh, represent with the threat that they have. 
Yeah, it's uh, well, and what's what's kind of scary about it is is that um, it, it again it reminds you very much of that idea of the kind of Section Thirty One, all the clandestine, you know, um, kind of things that that we I think fear as as, as human beings, especially these days, and, and and with what we've seen of that kind of terrorism, small group terrorism, and kind of being infiltrated, um, that kind of Cold War mentality that kind of comes from that as well um it's all very again like you were saying at the very beginning it's all really plausible um things Mm -hmm. it's it's not it's not really all that far-fetched except for having super genetic engineered children at this point um that's still a little beyond us so (laughs) a little yeah yeah. a little thankfully maybe not as much as we think though uh well i don't know i'm just gonna i'm just gonna cross my fingers and hope that <laughs> that we are far beyond <laughs> this right now <laughs> yeah, um yeah. so chris what did you think about uh you know once we get to the end there and Khan or noonian strips off his his blood soaked shirt wraps around his head and gives himself a new name yeah. Um, I, I enjoyed this comic. Again, I, I like I like these comics where they're really telling a new story. And although the eugenics wars are not new and Khan's not new, they're telling us a story set in this timeline that is completely new to us. Mm-hmm. Like we, we don't really have those details of what happened, especially in this timeline, because again, you know, these events may unfold a little bit differently than they did in the prime timeline. And I think they're doing a really good job of, of packing a lot of information and a lot of history into a very small space, but giving you a really good overview. So you can just follow the course of events and it flows pretty well, I think. The, the artwork is nice. The, uh, there's, um, I'm not really big into violent things, so I'm, there's a little bit of too much blood <laughs> at times in here for me, although they don't overdo it too much. There's just a couple of spots, but there's a lot of violence in here. And I guess, you know, thanks to Into Darkness, this um, crushing people's skulls with your hands thing, that just seems to be the preferred method of killing people by Khan and his Superman in the Abrams first timeline. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely, I think, a, a good issue. Um, and it does cover a lot. It gives us a lot of backstory, and it does very much help us um, kind of see why and... Uh, Marcus would want this person, um, you know, to help mm-hmm. him. Um, it very much answers that question, I think, um, that so this would be somebody who would be able to think outside the box uh, in a way that uh, Marcus would be very interested in. And, you know, even though being so many years into the future when he's found, be able to probably catch up because he's genetically engineered and obviously right. very, very smart. And this is what they're made to do is is think um, big and bold and, and, uh, scary, honestly. So, um, I, I don't know. I, I'd say I'd give this one, um, out of, out of 10, I'd probably give this seven and a half crushed heads. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> one other thing I did want to point out here, when we talk about how the writers do know their Star Trek pretty in depth and they pull little things out. If you notice here, they introduce us to the leaders of the different 
uh, oh, areas yes. of power. Mm-hmm. And for Europe, they have John Erickson. Yes, and I noticed that. Of course, as we've we've talked before um, about Harold Erickson, mm-hmm. of course, with John Tenuto. But uh, this character changed, and I'm, I think John has gone over this on our shows before. In the first draft of Space Seed, Harold Erickson uh, first introduces himself as John Erickson. Yes. And so they did pick up John Erickson. And, of course, we find out later on that even John Erickson isn't his real name. He's really Ragnar Thorwald, which is a fantastic Nordic <laughs> name, by the way. And <laughs> and But they use that uh, character here. What I found interesting is that here, so Khan is his own person in the story. And then there's John Erickson, who is a person in the story. But in the future, in Into Darkness, he becomes known as John Harrison, and so it's interesting how that all ties together. And, I, and I'm wondering where that goes. And of course, as we know, when we got to the beyond the final page of this comic, where they show us the cover for issue three, mm-hmm. and we see Benedict Cumberbatch's con on the cover. And I'm wondering, okay, well, how did he adopt that look? So it's going to be really interesting to see how the, all those little pieces come together. And yeah, I think that that's the main question that a lot of people have had is one, you know, what happened when he was woken up? Two, how does he get that face? Um, and right. so, do you uh, have any thoughts on that, Chris? Like how you feel he might? Uh, well, I was thinking like per- perhaps he was originally found by Vidians. Oh, yeah. And the Vidians uh, grafted that face onto him. It's It's. Sort of like stealing Durst's face in faces, but they, um, I don't know, maybe maybe John Erickson was one of the 37s and the Vidians got his face and they kept it stored. And then when they found Noonien here, they grafted that face onto him. It's pretty disgusting if you think about it. Yeah, it's, uh, it is quite disturbing thought, actually, Chris. That is probably more disturbing <laughs> than I had, had, had anticipated when I asked the question. Um, I actually was just, I mean, personally, uh, I've, I've figured that they were just going to go with the simple, uh, answer of, well, um, you know, we, we gave him plastic surgery when we woke him up. So nobody knows who he is. Um, answer, uh, but yours is much that's more a inventive. Bit too simplistic. So yeah. yeah. Oh, exactly. um, well, and jeez, yeah. if we know anything, we know that uh, Orsi Kurtzman they they like more complicated than not. So you might be on the right track there. <laughs> Could be. So uh, yeah, the, one thing I can say that's I think a high compliment to this comic is that when I got to the end. I wanted to turn the page and find out what happens next. Mm-hmm. I was really disappointed when he yes. said to be continued. So that, that's something there. I guess I'll give this one eight NORAD infiltrators. A little less violent, but good. <laughs> that's right. Okay, Matthew. Well, that's all we're going to talk about in the news segment today. And before we jump into the feature, we're, as I mentioned at the beginning, we're going to talk about IDW's new Best of Clean Lines comics. 
Let's tell everyone about our sponsor for this week's show, Squarespace. Now, Squarespace, as everyone knows, is the web's best hosting and CMS that makes it simple for you to create your own blog, website, portfolio, or an online store. They have the great commerce feature, as well as the very, very easy-to-use building blocks that help you put together, again, a portfolio, or it could be a big company website or even a personal blog with no knowledge of HTML coding, CSS coding, any of that stuff. You can create beautiful websites or stores in just a matter of minutes. And the commerce feature is now available in a growing number of countries, including the US, UK, Canada, Australia, Belgium, France, Germany, Ireland, the Netherlands, and Spain. And that number is growing all the time. I'm waiting, Matthew, myself for it to become available in Japan because I have some things I want to personally do with it. Uh, that uh, that I need to do from here. So I have to wait for Stripe to become available here in Japan. Oh, nice. But uh, when, it, when it does come here, you know, I can use the 30-second merchant sign-up to get instant approval. No paperwork to do, which is uh, a great thing for me because what I'm currently using is PayPal, corporate PayPal. And I have to tell you, the the hoops we had to jump through in order to set up a corporate PayPal account, it was a lot. I mean, we had it, it even involved snail mail that had to go between Japan and Singapore. So there's a lot of stuff going on that was quite a headache. So it's fantastic that with Squarespace, there's no paperwork to do, and it is just this 30-second instant approval that you get as a Squarespace customer. And then you can begin receiving money for your purchases and direct deposits and such in just moments. And it handles full tax and shipping rules by region, which is also fantastic. And they have this store management interface that lets you easily track outstanding orders, recent customer update emails, or print packing slips right there from that single interface. And if you have inventory in other systems like Shopify or Big Cartel, you can move those right over in just a few clicks. And that's a really fantastic thing. And also, as we mentioned, blogs. Blogs are great. Now, I have my own personal blog, and I like to share videos, for example. And what's wonderful about it is you can just take, say, a URL from YouTube and you just plug it in. You don't have to get all that embed code and such. You just plug in the URL and it'll pull it right in. And then it resizes the YouTube video depending on what device the user is using to view it, which is great. Because have you embedded stuff, Matthew, on your blog from YouTube before? And, you know, you have to choose the dimensions that you want the video yes, to be. It has yes, to be hard-coded in there. Mm-hmm. This is great that you don't have to mess with that and it's going to look beautiful no matter what. And that's part, again, of the responsive design that reflows all aspects of your website or your blog, depending on if it's a desktop, if it's a smartphone, if it's a tablet. And you can build all of this by just dragging content blocks down on the page. And then they have sliders where you can adjust those professionally designed templates and make the site your own because really no two Squarespace sites look alike because it is so easy to modify the design and give it your own look. And if you do know how to code and you want to have access to every line of code, you can do that too. There is a fantastic developer backend that gives you complete control over everything. So you can use that as well. But Matthew, the best way to try this out, you know, find out how well it works is to go to squarespace.com and get the free 14-day trial. There's no credit card required. You just enter your name and email address, and in a matter of minutes, you'll be creating your own website. The plans start at just $8 per month. You can get everything unlimited for $16, and then the commerce feature that we discussed is $24 per month. And of course, 
Matthew, as we've been talking about on the show, you are setting up your Bajoran Spring Wine Store. How's that going? Have you have you moved any of your Bajoran inventories over to Squarespace yet with a one, one click? Well, uh, I haven't got a chance to do that yet. I'm still waiting uh, for permission from the Bajoran government to import spring wine to Earth. Uh, that does take quite a long time. You know the Bajorans. They like to take their time with things. Uh, they want to know that I'm going to honor the spring wine and, uh, and not be selling it for too little. They want to keep the, the retail value up, the specialty-ness yeah. of it up. So um, I'm trying to win them over. Um, I've gotten in touch with Kira. We're good friends, and so hopefully uh, this will be coming <laughs> along soon. Uh, but honestly, I, I'm just really excited. Uh, you know, Bajoran Spring Wine, I, I was able to get a case for myself, and goodness, it goes well with every single dish that you want to put it with. So be looking for that soon. <laughs> All right. They probably gave you a case after you you went to Bajor because in order to, of course, be a representative of this, uh, the Vedics wanted you to gaze into the orb of business, right? Yes, yes. Well, and and that is one thing, uh, actually, to get involved uh, in, in uh, Bajoran businesses, I actually had to have an orb experience. So uh, they wanted to make sure that uh, I was one with the profits or something like that. Um, so <laughs> something uh, like, yeah, that. I, I don't really know. It's it's not my thing. I'm, <laughs> I'm not a, um, a profit lover. But what can I say? I, I did it for the money. So yeah. now I sound like work. You got a little there. I'm not a profit lover or a profit lover. <laughs> <laughs> I did it all for the profit. <laughs> you did it all for the profits. Yeah. Exactly. Just depends on how you spell that. That's right? exactly right. <laughs> it's um. Well, it's too bad that that Bajoran business uh, is not as easy to deal with as the merchant sign up with Stripe. But hopefully, you'll get that squared away soon. So for everyone else, while Matthew is working on that, again. Support us by going to squarespace.com and getting that free 14-day trial. You're going to be really impressed with the platform, I promise you. And, you know, see how it's going to work for you. You can import your WordPress site right in there if you already have one of those. And you can see once it's in there, you know, how easy it is for you to continue your website using the fantastic Squarespace platform. So go to squarespace.com, use offer code TREK11 when you sign up to get 10% off your lifetime purchase on new accounts. And also choose the annual plan and you'll get a free custom domain registration as well. Again, that's at squarespace.com. And we really thank Squarespace for their support of Literary Treks. Recently, IDW has been re-releasing great comics from the past and putting them together in best of series. And tonight, Chris and I thought we would talk about one that focused on one specific race that just came out. It was Star Trek, the best of Klingons. Now, the great thing about this series is it includes a four-part DC comic series that uh, starred the original series cast back right after Star Trek II. And it's a four-part series and then they put that with IDW's Blood Will Tell Klingon series. And so all of these together, it creates a really big volume. I, I think this is 200, over 200 pages worth of comics and lots of good Klingon action. And so that's what we we're going to be talking about tonight. Chris, I, we just both got a chance this week to go ahead and, and read through. What did you think? It was interesting. Um, stylistically, it's a great contrast between the comics that we got back in the day and the comics that we're getting now. And I think not only art style, but 
the style of storytelling as well, where the the comics, the the old DC comics, very much more a straightforward kind of uh, Star Trek action adventure, whereas the newer comics, Blood Will Tale, have a much more deeper story behind them. And but interestingly, there is a thread that runs through the entire collection, which is the Organians, and. I found it interesting in how when you approach the Klingons, especially if you deal with the Klingons and the Federation, so often things come back to the Organians. Yeah, um, I, I I think it's it's something that is really interesting. And, and mainly, you know, what's really strange is that, you know, in the movie era, uh, we actually didn't see the Organians at all, uh, right. you know, in the films. But uh, the fact that they bring them here to help explain why the the Klingon Empire and the, the Federation, yes, they've been at you know, this Cold War for a very long time, but they actually haven't been able to go to war. And that's why we never see that in the films. I, I thought this was great in this comic to really kind of answer that question of, of what is it that, that is, uh, you know, kept the Klingons and the, the Federation from actually being able to go to war. And it has been... The fact that the Organians really have been around this long, keeping this from happening. And so, uh, yes, stylistically, these comics could not be any more different. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, that just obviously the art style um, and, and everything like that is just completely different. Although, you know, I'd have to say um, the the comics here that from... Um, uh, that time period are not that bad. I really enjoyed actually the storyline. I enjoyed the storytelling. Obviously, there are some inconsistencies with the later films that we see, mm-hmm. but that's to be expected. You know, they they don't know. Uh, they're these comic right. makers are not working in concert like uh, the um, uh, ongoing comics are now. And even then, we see some minor inconsistencies every once in a while sure and if they made six abrams first movies we would see more and more inconsistencies as most likely on. yes yeah. <laughs> yeah. so um this is this is this is fun um so to set this up the first section of this comic is that the klingons have attacked a federation starship and apparently the Federation has attacked uh, a Klingon colony. And so both of the powers are very much ticked off each other. And of course, of course, it's up to the Enterprise uh, because they're only a starship <laughs> in the system. Yes. Actually, it's more because Kirk goes in and asks for the Enterprise back after the events of Star Trek II, and the Admiral says, mm-hmm. we should never have taken it away from you, basically, and gives them back the ship. Yeah. So good work there. I, I think that made sense enough. Although- Which is interesting when you read this now, where this story does fill in a lot of blanks about what happened between Star Trek II and III. Mm-hmm. And as you're reading through, if you don't think about it that way, because you know what what comes after, you do feel the contradictions a little bit more, and you're thinking, oh, "Well, why is this person here? Or why this is go- why is this going on?" But then, if you stop and you read it as, "This is what happened right after Star Trek II. This is before we get to Star Trek III," then it does serve to fill in some blanks for you. 
Right. And um, this um, this does take place immediately right after Star Trek Two as well. Mm-hmm. And so they obviously don't even know ex- what they're going to be doing with Star Trek Day, I think, at this point. So I think that's that's really that's really interesting. And, you know, the, the cool thing uh, about this comic, I, I think, had to be Chris on page nine. This wonderful warp effect is yeah yeah yeah. is pretty fantastic (laughs) and uh kirk gets back the enterprise he gets back the whole old crew and gets savik to be his science officer obviously because spock is not around yet and um they go warping off to figure out what is going on with these uh klingons and what's happened um, I also think it's interesting too. You get this idea as well that um, some of the people on Kirk's ship, the 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 cadets and the younger officers who haven't been there before, um, you, you've had some of their family were actually on the Galleon. In fact, one of the the women on the ship, her dad was the captain mm-hmm. of the Galleon and obviously died. And uh, you notice that there's a lot of fighting on the Enterprise, and there's no Andorians, Chris. I mean. I noticed that. There's like a brawl every few seconds, it seems like, uh, and there's absolutely no Andorians. I don't know. I was thinking maybe this guy Bearclaw here is an Andorian who's been cosmetically altered to look human the way that Darwin was in the comic that we'll get to uh, shortly. And that's why he likes to fight. You know, he's slapping Bryce here. I don't know. But yeah, there's a lot of fighting going on. Well, and and he bitch slaps her like yeah this is like completely inappropriate for today i mean these are two klingons fighting each other you know if, if a klingon male hit a, a, a you know klingon female we would probably think nothing of it in a comic just because that's their culture but i mean he just hauls off and slaps her across the face in the corridor and then she yeah. kicks the crap out of him which good for her and kicks him backwards into Kirk as Kirk is walking uh, Which was really funny. <laughs> so, like, on The Next Generation, uh, Gomez, Sonia Gomez, she spilt hot chocolate all over Captain Picard. And in this case, Bryce, she spilt bear claw all over Kirk. Exactly. Uh, and apparently that's okay. Uh, I do love Kirk's mad face. He looks like, um, he looks like a, uh, oh gosh, have you ever seen... Harrison Ford's mad face on, on in a film, like when he gets really mad, that's what yeah. his face looks like here. And he gives them a good talking to about how you know we need to all work together, and uh, yeah. I won't I won't take this kind of fighting on my ship. Can I also ask you about the name Bearclaw here? I mean, I assume that it comes it's some like Native American yeah flavor they're trying to give this Dakota's character. He's Dakota's great 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 grandfather, right? However. When I was a kid growing up, my mother would always stop by the bakery to get me a bear claw. Mm. And so as I'm reading this, all I can think about is the pastry called bear claw. And it just feels really weird to me. Yeah, um, I honestly kind of thought the same thing. Um, but, you know, <laughs> it, it, I just let it go. And I tried <laughs> to not salivate as I read the comic thinking about uh, if any of the donut shops were still open downtown. Yeah, so makes you want to go brew some coffee to read the rest of the comic. Right? Exactly. So the yeah. Enterprise is warping in, gets to this sector where the Gallant was destroyed, and lo and behold, some Klingons come out of nowhere. 
and no start, way i know it never <laughs> happens and they start firing I was so surprised I, it was shocking <laughs> i turned the page i was shocked i tell you shocked um and of course uh, the uh, enterprise is outnumbered four to one but that's no problem because kirk is able to outthink the klingons and they have to retreat back into well, and then this is the this is a f- the fun part is it, there's a mystery. These these Klingons don't seem to be cloaking, but they're just able to appear and disappear at will. And the Enterprise at this point isn't able to figure out where the the rest of the ships have gone once they leave. Right. Um, yeah. And so, turns out though, Chris, that it's a wormhole that these Klingons are hiding in. That's right, a wormhole. A wormhole, right. So the Chris the the Enterprise finds its way into this wormhole. It's, it's able to find its way to get in there. So uh Kirk goes in with Savick and with Bryce and himself. Um and lo and behold, what do they find, Chris? Well, of course they find a Klingon space station, which was Interesting because how how many times have we seen Klingon space stations in Star Trek? I cannot think of very many. So like design wise, I don't really, I don't I don't have any particular style of a Klingon space station in mind. But but when I saw this one, I don't know if I saw this, I guess because I'm not a Starfleet officer, my first thought was not Klingon space station. Yeah, um, I thought. Is it a giant centipede beetle monster <laughs> in space? No, it's yeah. it is a Klingon space station. Um, so I thought this was very interesting because apparently the Klingons are hiding a space station in a wormhole that they've been able to create on the edge of Federation space, so that they can launch an invasion. And this space station apparently has enough firepower to destroy a lot of things. And so, uh, and in fact. Uh, seize the entire sector of this part of Federation space for themselves. Bum bum bum. Right, right. So they so they take a shuttle and they get over to the space station, and then we get a lot. We get a, a lot of fighting again. We do. We, we get a lot of action. Um, the Enterprise is still messed up. Scotty's trying to fix it. Kirk is trying to figure out what's going on in the space station, and smartly enough, uh, Kirk. Um, is able to use Savick inside the shuttlecraft as a diversion so that he and Bryce can sneak aboard the space station and figure out exactly how they are creating this wormhole. And them being on the station gave me, again, this was written long before The Undiscovered Country was was ever written or filmed, but some of these scenes make me feel a little bit like when the two assassins beamed over in the undiscovered country to assassinate Gorkon. Yeah, it is very interesting. And we haven't talked about yet, Chris, but there is one Klingon in here that is not like the other. That's right. One of these Klingons is not, not like, like the, the other. other. <laughs> one of these Klingons doesn't belong. One of these Klingons is a friend of the Federation. <laughs> one of these Klingons and Bryce will get along. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this show has gone off the rails. Um, oh, to the Klingon rails, that is. <laughs> which, which is, we'll find out later, more like like a maglev system, but we'll get to that. When we get to I think we just named the show 
off the Klingon rails. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! All right, so so yeah, we get over there, and yeah, there there is this one because issue two is actually called the only good Klingon. Well, and and of course, as we know, there's really only one good Klingon. And usually in in a show, uh, you know, you had Worf, he was the good Klingon, you know, on, on Voyager, it's Delana. So, yeah, you usually have about one good Klingon. On Enterprise, it was that, that um, I can't remember right now off the top of my head. But... I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but it was J.G. Hertzler's character. Exactly, exactly. Judgment, who was counsel for Archer. There you go. In Deep Space Nine, they added Martok as another good Klingon, so it was right. their good yeah. Klingon. So there you go. There is always yeah. w- at least one good Klingon. And so Kirk and, and Bryce are able to fight their way through, and they actually run into this new Klingon, this good Klingon, and tells them that he was the one who sent them the energy wave, the the, the flux of the wormhole, so that they would be able to find right. their way in. And so they pick up a wayward traveler, this this Klingon, and, and they work their way into um, getting off the station so that they can take this back to the Enterprise and find a way to destroy, obviously, the station. Um, and so this is, uh, I, I really, honestly, though, just enjoy so far this story. Um, I, I think it's it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of action that happens, and there's a lot that happens. Like, um, it, one of the things, Chris, I was noticing reading is when you read this section, and then you read the newer comic that they have, th- you know, they add a lot more text in old old comics, I feel like. Yeah, There's right. usually yeah. a lot yeah, yeah. more being said. So you have to pay attention. Mm-hmm. And uh and so but I, I think for all the old comics that we've read in the last few months, um, I really so far I'm just enjoying this. I think it's 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 standing up still, which is great. So Kirk gets back to the Enterprise, they take the Klingon with them. Um Unfortunately, uh, Kirk is not able to raise Starfleet. Uhura cannot get through. And the next thing we know, a Klingon comes through and tells them that we are declaring war on the... In fact, the Klingon Emperor says we are declaring war on the Federation. Right. And not just any Klingon Emperor, but Kalos. Kalos IV. Exactly. Is how they they specify him in the comic here, but it's Kalos coming back. And that leads us into the third part, which is called Errand of War, which takes us back to Organia. And this is the part where we really find out that there is some other force going on here. And you might think that it's the Organians, but remember that the Organians are trying to prevent the Federation and the Klingons from fighting. So it's not the Organians. In fact, the Organians, we find out, have been supplanted by another race that we're familiar with, the Excalbians from the Savage Curtain. So they find out, or at least we find out as the reader, that Yarnak is behind this. And then Kirk finally is able to raise Starfleet Command, he gets a hold of the Admiral, and the Admiral tells him, no, we are going to war. We're going to go to war with these people, and we're going to destroy them. And then he sends him a, which I thought was really interesting, a 
propaganda video about right. Klingons, yeah. exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> about why we hate Klingons, basically. <laughs> you know, it reminded me of, because it was a propaganda video, but we see it right from both sides. Like the, mm-hmm. the Klingons are the bad guys and the humans are the bad guys. It reminded me a bit of, we mentioned earlier, Judgment on Enterprise when mm-hmm. Archer is on trial and how they tell the story. But of course, it's the same events. Right. But it's different depending on if Archer tells it or if the Klingons tell it, if Duras tells it. And it's a bit like that here. But that's when you know, like, okay, something is going on. And we don't yet know exactly what's going on with, with Yarnak. But we know, okay, something is weird here. Someone's playing both sides. And as far as the artwork goes itself, you can tell like there there's some sort of this colored effect around Kalos mm-hmm. and around the Admiral. So you know something is going on there. And then it starts to unfold. And of course, the the propaganda video. Well, and, and, and right before the propaganda video, we get this great little love connection happening between Bryce and this Klingon. It's very uh-huh. sweet um, that they've brought over. And then, of course, what strangely enough, another fight scene. The Klingon video, <laughs> the propaganda video plays over the Federation news service, apparently web there, and everybody sees mm-hmm. it. They all go to find the Klingon because, well... What do you do when you have a Klingon in your ship and you've seen a propaganda video? Well, of course, you go kick the Klingon's ass. And so <laughs> they go of to course. do that. Exactly. And uh, uh, luckily, they are saved by security. And so actually, no no fight scene. Just a lot of um, people running away from security because they've drawn their phasers. And, and so... That's right. Kirk decides that... Um, he is not going to stand for this. He's not going to go to war. In fact, it's very funny because it's also very reminiscent of First Contact where the Borg are doing an attack and Picard is sent to the Romulan neutral zone. Oh, Kirk yeah, exactly. is also exactly sent to the Romulan about. neutral zone. Mm-hmm. And yet he also disobeys orders and says, to heck with that. I'm going to find the Organians. This doesn't feel right. I need to go see what's going on. And lo and behold, they show up at the Organians doorstep and the planet is gone. It's gone, yeah. Just a big, big black, black hole splotch right there. Black hole sun. So you thought maybe it's a black hole. There was a wormhole with a Klingon space station in it. So maybe right. here a black hole has swallowed up Organia. Yeah, I thought that that might be the case. Now, it was not a black hole. It was actually... what is? <laughs> it was a Dyson sphere. No, it was not a Dyson yeah, sphere. No. <laughs> So what it turns out is there's this kind of like a cloaking field of sorts around Organia, right? So the, as we're going to soon find out about Yarnak and the involvement of the Excalbians, they are suppressing the Organians because the Organians have this power to keep the Federation and the Klingons from fighting one another. So in order for the Excalbians to carry out their plan, they have to somehow break that spell that the Organians have over people. To go back to the beginning of our show today with our Harry Potter talk, they um, they have to do something there. And so they basically have shrouded the Organian planet mm-hmm. as part of their way of holding them back. And unfortunately, their plan is also backfiring on them because Kirk and Kor, who showed up 
here at the Organian planet because he knew that um, they needed to guard the um, the Organian planet uh, during this war because he figured somebody would show up, and of course it was going to be Kirk. So these two are working together again, and they actually join forces realizing that this war is not being caused by either of their respective governments, but by some other malevolent force. And of course, we do find out that it's the Excalvians who have been behind this the whole time and on either side. What I thought was really interesting was Kirk's (laughs) fantastic way of talking them out of doing this. Like, it, you know, these, these Excalvians are supposed to be really, really smart and and so is every supercomputer that Kirk talks to, but he's able to talk them out of this just like he does a supercomputer. <laughs> so you're hoping that you'll see the Excalbion explode and rock pieces will go all over the place? I, I kind of expected that. Um, <laughs> but no, what he tells them is that if they really want to see whether good or evil is better, they should pit themselves against the Organians and mm-hmm. see it for themselves, not just watch it play right. out. And then, yeah. of course, once um, the Organians are released by the Excalvians because they decide, hey, this is a great idea, the Organians and the Excalvians both disappear, and all that is left are the Klingons and the Federation, or Kirk and Kor, uh, and their ship, the respective ships are left. And the universe is saved from, you know, annihilation of a huge war. So I think this is uh, just, I think this is really interesting. I, I love the fact, too, that the story has so much going on with all the different characters. You're bringing back somebody like Kor, um, using him, working together again, strangely enough, with Kirk. I think that's fantastic, great storytelling. I love the way they do use the Organians and the, and the Excalvians here. I think it makes a lot of sense, especially since the Excalvians look so dumb, even in the comic. <laughs> well, in the comic, they remind me of a creature that you might see in some Miyazaki animation, you know, very yeah, famous Japanese yeah. animation. Yeah. They look better than they do in the Savage Curtain, that's for sure. Yes, yes. Um, I also really liked, I thought it was kind of cool, this this idea that there was going to be a Klingon who was kind of, you know, you said that the thread running through this was the Organians. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the other thread that's running through this is that there's a Klingon who believes that their way of life needs to change. And yeah, so agree, yeah. um, that's another thread that runs through here. And so I really appreciated seeing that because it did tie these two comics together in a way that you weren't really yeah. expecting them to go together. Yeah, the similarities are a message and a theme in here all the way through this entire volume is that humans and Klingons need to work together and they have to find a way. And sometimes they work together because they're forced to work together by circumstances. Well, I, I guess that applies even to what we'll talk about in the next one, which ties into the events in the Undiscovered Country and the explosion on Praxis. But in in the latter case we have uh, a situation where the Klingons are going to reach out uh, proactively to humans. Whereas here, it is another situation like we would get on the original series where circumstances from alien forces uh, require humans and Klingons to work together in order to save themselves. And so that thread runs through 
as well. And you do have the Klingon, the, you know, the one guy who believes that maybe we should trust humans. Maybe we're not so different after all. What did you think about uh, bringing together the Organians and the Excalbians? Because uh, what we did a few weeks ago when we were talking about um, get the, the Gateways book, Demons, Fair, and Darkness, and we were talking about how the Iconians, a very powerful race from Star Trek, and the Prophets, they knew each other. So you have these like super uh, advanced, uh, at least in their abilities, these races in Star Trek that we generally don't see come together on the screen, but when we get into the literature, we do see that. So what did you think about pitting Excalbians and Organians together because of the themes of good versus evil, fighting or not fighting? Um, I thought it was interesting having those two, um, you know, go together. And um, it, 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 you know, in Air and Darkness, uh, it, it made sense that those those two races would know each other because of their power and, and how long they've been around. Mm-hmm. So it, it made sense here in the comic to see them um, kind of be, be brought together like this. Um, and I, you know, I, I I loved the 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 way that Kirk has you know played it all. I mean, you see this throughout the whole thing. Kirk always has a plan, and he he knows here that that the Organians are never going to let the the Excalvians create a war between the Klingons and the Federation. They've spent too much time uh, invested in, in these two uh, races. And so I thought that that was really interesting. And I, I, I thought that it works really well for the storytelling. It actually really creates a, a great uh, end to the comic um, and, and ties everything all together really well. And so all in all, fantastic story, I think, this this first this first four issues. Yeah, I think it was a good story. It was for me a bit more straightforward than the next one in terms yes. of you're just being told a story. Mm-hmm. There's not quite as much for you to to ponder. Well, yourself. and I really I really think the next one, Chris, should not be called Blood Will Tell. I really think it needs to be called instead of like, you know, the whole story is like, and how I met your mother kind of thing. But really it's how Kurt kept screwing up our family unbeknowingly. So, so who's Barney in this story? Um, That's a great question. <laughs> I'm not sure which one Barney is, Um, but do you, you see what I'm saying? Like he, he tells the story, he keeps telling these stories and it just reminds me of that whole setup of how I met your mother. Yeah. But really the right. thread through all the stories is how Kirk unknowingly keeps screwing up our family. <laughs> right. Because as we move into blood, will tell here, uh, his granddaughter, the narrator's granddaughter here towards the end, she's like Kirk again. Yeah. <laughs> Even after this and this and this Kirk again, goodness, get yeah. a life, Jim. Go away. I, I thought it was really funny. Um, and so, I got to say right off the bat, obviously, this Klingon woman, hot. So we'll just get that <laughs> out of the way. Um, and uh, I thought it was interesting here. It, the the marked difference, I mean, at one, how many panels are on from the last issue, uh, bit of issues from DC? Yeah. You know, they have very few panels comparatively. It's much more sparse. It's much more about the artistic uh, ability 
of the creators to tell a story that way than just with text. Definitely. Yeah. And they do it really well. I, this this comic does look very good. Um, and so it looks great. Now it, there are times where I feel like the character likenesses are not quite close enough. Yes, it it, mm-hmm. it definitely has its own style, and but they're consistent. They're pretty consistent within that style. Yes, throughout, and the way they draw the Klingons as well. But I, I do wish at times that the characters looked a little bit more like they were supposed to. So the the basic thread, as we talked about, is is there is a grandfather, and he is on this the council, the Klingon council, and Praxis has just exploded, and he is trying to make the decision of whether or not to vote for the Gorkon Initiative, or to vote against it, um, and uh, he is going to tell these stories to his granddaughter as a way of trying to to figure it out himself um, and, and to mm. kind of give her an idea of why he may will go one way or the other. So interesting setup for me. I, I thought, okay, this is, this is really interesting. And in fact, you know, you will see lots of Easter eggs in this comic throughout um, mm-hmm. from one, both he and his granddaughter are, Klingons that do not have forehead ridges, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, that's a big topic that I want to talk about as we go through this. Yeah, um, they have obviously stayed um, very much in in the vein of of what was created in the Enterprise episode that we saw, yeah. and in fact, you even see flocks in um, one of yeah, the yeah, you scenes. do see flocks in one of the one of the panels here. Yeah. Uh, talking about that 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 whole idea and so each story involves some kind of family member throughout the their history and their relationship then with the federation um, and their experiences with the federation and so uh, it's a it's a very interesting setup mm. i guess i don't know if i want to talk through every single comic or whatever it seems more like right i want to talk more about two topics, really. Okay. And so the grandfather here is Kanra, and he's a member of the High Council. He's a Batleth master. And I think he's telling his granddaughter, whose name is Kaylin, these stories because he's trying to decide for himself whether he thinks he can trust humans, right? But w- what I found interesting about it, because you just mentioned it, so let's go to this first, is the forehead ridges and the non-forehead ridges. And... Again, they're trying to explain why the Klingons didn't have forehead ridges in the original series, which, of course, Enterprise tried to explain as well. And even on Deep Space Nine, you know, the topic came up in Trials and Tribulations. And I feel like every time, whether it's on TV or if it's in comics or books, that this topic tries to be explained, they just muddy things more and more and more. And... What they've done here, and tell me what you think about this, Matthew, is that Kanra explains to his granddaughter what we saw in Enterprise with the human science. And he says, unfortunately, the human science failed and its genetic mutation spread like wildfire, leaving the empire with twin Klingon races, one bearing the mark of the human's treachery. And then he says that Although we may not have had the superior strength that was intended, we retained superior ambition. 
and soon we had gained control of the High Council itself. It was our kind who led the Empire's glorious expansion into deep space and conquered countless worlds. So the explanation here is that the reason that we see Klingons without forehead ridges in the original series is that after the time of Enterprise in the 22nd century, the smooth-headed Klingons became the more powerful Klingons in the government, and they are the ones who went out around the galaxy to, uh, and they're the ones who Kirk encountered all the time. While back on Kronos, there were still all these other Klingons that had forehead ridges. And to me, this seems like a very, I mean, it, it's interesting, yes, but it also seems like they've really created a convoluted explanation well, to something that, again, I think doesn't need explaining in the first place. It, Yeah, I mean, I, I guess part of it is I didn't mind it so much they're working with what we saw in Enterprise, so that doesn't bother me. Uh, and right. they actually do a better job, I think, of, well, they just get a job to further what happened on Enterprise. They further so, what happened Which is, yeah. is okay, too. Yeah. But the problem is, is that Core shows up uh, later on, and he does... He has what he looks like in the original series. Problem is, is the core shows up in Deep Space Nine and he's got forehead ridges. Right. So sometime in there, I guess maybe we'll get another comic that explains how Core and Koloth and Kang all get forehead ridges. Maybe they have them installed or genetically <laughs> re-alter themselves you know so uh, sorry you know. i can't uh i can't join the uh, the high council meeting this week i'm having my forehead ridges installed on thursday <laughs> exactly uh, and then Colas says oh you're so lucky mine don't arrive until tuesday exactly so that was one of the things that i went and i liked the explanation at the beginning it made complete sense they just took what came from enterprise and they just expanded on a little bit it wasn't muddying it what muddied it was the fact that Kor shows up and he has the same forehead because well, that's, that's what right he has the in bat. the original series. But then, of course, we also know in Deep Space Nine he doesn't. Right. That's yeah. It 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 becomes a mess. And that's right off the bat. But as the story goes on, we also meet Koloth and we also meet King. So yes. it's really. It's uh, we talked about a hat trick on one of the shows recently. That's a hat trick. That's a Klingon yeah. There hat you trick go. Right there. Uh, Klingon classic hat trick. Klingon hat trick. Yep. Yeah. Core King and Koloth. Um, so <laughs> you know, Chris, I, I think what uh, I wanted to like these comics a lot, and there are some parts of it that I really do. Um, we already talked about the Klingon daughter, granddaughter. Um, but uh. The problem with this to me was is it suffers from some of the things that some of the other comics have done recently in Star Trek where they they are telling behind the scenes stories of episodes that mm -hmm. we already seen. So there's no mm -hmm. I, I'm not excited. Like I already know these stories. So it's like Assignment Earth was for you when yes. they did the part where they were on the Enterprise. Oh where, my gosh, yeah. it was it this whole thing is just like that. It it's exactly like that. Now, there are some interesting tidbits that we learn, like what their ancestor is um, Darwin from Trouble with Tribbles. That was interesting. In fact, the way that he becomes Darwin, actually seeing that change uh, as a Klingon, he actually was a Klingon who had well, ridges. He was, and, uh, he's related yeah. to them somehow. Somehow, yeah. But that that was pretty disgusting, though. This it whole was, section of how they 
yes. sand down his forehead ridges. It and was his very spine, disgusting. Bat- backbone, um, and yeah. So, yeah. The, but that was actually quite interesting to see. That was um, interesting, though. That that's some background behind an episode that was interesting because it, mm-hmm. it didn't take place in the episode. Right. It was just. It was, it, what it was how that episode actually that happened, episode. came to happen, right? right? Um, so that was interesting, yeah. Uh, so that was, that's, okay, Chris, you said you had a couple things that you really want to discuss. For me, that was the thing that, that really got to me reading through this. What was the second thing for you? Um. Well, yeah, before I go to the second thing, uh, one, other, one other Easter egg that I just have to point out is right here on page 134. Where you see Cisco yeah, walking Cisco. by? Yes, you do. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I thought that was fantastic. That really made. In fact, yeah. I, w- I would say that this is probably the best issue of all of them, except for maybe the very last one. Um, yeah. And uh, really appreciated that that Easter egg. I was like, oh my gosh, that's awesome! It's Cisco. So well done for them to do that. So the other thing that I wanted to get your thoughts on was just the idea of the need for growth and cooperation as cultures evolve and societies evolve, because that's something that uh, we see on Star Trek. You know, it it really started in earnest with the undiscovered country Mm -hmm. because of the explosion of praxis, which is what this issue is tying into again. Mm -hmm. And then we see it in the next generation where the, what grows out of the Kittimer Accords and how the the Klingons and the Federation have to work together. And then we see it in Deep Space Nine where they're faced with the Dominion threat and they, you know, again, feel the need to work together. And here, as Conrad tells these stories and he goes through all of the key Klingon episodes from the original series, Aaron of Mercy, The Trouble with Tribbles, Day of the Dove, and even Friday's Child is in here. And... Ultimately, he makes that decision that the Klingons, in order to survive, the Klingons have to change. They have to reach out and cooperate with their old enemy, the humans. And he's of the older generation. But his granddaughter, who's young, doesn't want that to happen. And I I, I think it illustrates the struggle we have in the world today, where as, as the years go by, you know, you feel like the world should be changing and we should all be cooperating with each other more and more, but we keep falling back into the same old traps over and over. And how do we, how do we get our children, especially when you go two generations removed, which is the case here to learn the lessons and to keep us moving forward instead of us always falling back into that. I mean, you know, Chris, I think it is a great question. Um, I, I I could get all religious on you. I mean, I have the answer to that question. We're all, yeah, it's not going to get better. Uh, it's, I, I just yeah. don't think that's going to happen. So, and I think we keep seeing that is because it, that's human nature is to, is to continue to try and do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. We, we, we play that out over and over again and um uh, and i think it will it is really interesting to watch this uh issue the very last issue i think of this was the best issue for me because of that conversation that's had is the fact that the klingon empire has been doing the same things over and over again 
and they have to move beyond just being a warrior race as we've talked about i think on in uh, a lot of our shows here on trek fm one of the crazy things about the klingon is they are just a warrior race most of the time and that's not sustainable um and this comic at the very end talks about that idea this this is not sustainable for a, a people to continue to live like this forever to this conquest this this not working uh, towards any common goals with anyone else other than ourselves it, it's just not sustainable in a galaxy this large and yeah. uh, you're right it, it would be great if we you, we as humans could learn to work together like this i i hope and pray for that but honestly, will it happen? I don't think so, because the world's not getting any better. We're just getting more technologically savvy at killing each other in more creative ways, is yeah. honestly, I think, what's happening. Um, and uh, that's that's kind of sad, but it is what it is, at least right now. So, yeah. Uh, and I, I well, love this yeah. comic for pointing that out. Right. Well, that's what this comic does. And, and it, it's another one that's giving us a backstory as the, the stories that he tells here give us the backstories to original series episodes. Mm-hmm. The ultimate ending gives us the backstory to what led to the opening of, well, not, not the very opening, not the explosion of Praxis, but what led to the scene in the conference room. Mm-hmm in the undiscovered country. Yes. And so this was, I thought really good backstory. It was very interesting to look in and see because it felt weird, right? That the Klingons would, would mm-hmm. reach out. I mean, it didn't feel weird in the sense that the movie was a very transparent analogy to the U S and the Soviet union right before the Soviet union dissolved and, you know, looking at the perestroika and all, but in terms of just in the Star Trek universe, it did feel weird in the undiscovered country, right? That the Klingons would reach out that way. And so this does a really good job of showing that it wasn't an easy decision for them, that it was really quite a struggle. And then when you transfer that over to our own world, um, you know, it, it's just, it's great discussion, a great thing to ponder about the struggles that we have to move forward. So, so I really liked it for that. And then, you know, overall, like I said early on, artwork wise, it's a really nice comic. I think they deviate from Star Trek a little bit in cases, and they certainly deviate from who I think we know the Klingons are in cases. It almost becomes like Space Japan at points where you've got you've got Tori gates around, you've got the Maglev trains that we talked about, which inside look an awful lot like trains yeah. I'm familiar with. And you just there's a lot of um well, I think this, the samurai culture that the Klingons mm-hmm. are in part based upon comes out more here in the yeah. artwork than it ever does on the television series. And I think in 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 some ways for me, I, I, I kind of let that go um, because artistically, um, I, I think their goal was to kind of create that kind of feel of a little bit more of an anime-ish feel for the Klingons. Yeah, in, which they did scene. well. Yeah, and so I, I thought that because we're doing a whole, uh, you know, um, comic series here about Klingons, it fits quite perfectly uh, with who we know them to be. And, and in a comic, I don't, I'd rather you be a little bit more artistic lots of times than than be bland. And I, right. I, this is not bland at all. It's an, it's, it's pleasing to look at. It, I'm enjoying the artwork and. Um, instead of, 
you know, there are some parts of this this last series um, that I would have been a little bit more bored in if I hadn't enjoyed the artwork as much as I do. So, mm, yeah, at, le- at least that well, for me. Well, so how do you rate the best of Klingons overall? Yeah, all overall, Chris, you know, we, goodness, we have done um, some some stinkers uh, in, in older <laughs> comics. But uh, I have to say, I really, really enjoyed the original DC comic there. Um, and I, th- I thought that the story was, it, even though it was straightforward, more of an action-adventure tale, I thought it was well-told. You know, the, I, I let the artwork pass uh, because it's, it's artwork from, you know, a, a lot earlier. We're, we're talking the 80s. It's a whole different mm-hmm. sensibility, whole different style. Um, it works for that time period, I think. The characters aren't always perfect there either, but most of the time they're pretty uh, spot on. And uh, I really enjoy the story. Blood Will Tell is more of a mixed bag for me. I enjoy the issue with The Trouble of Troubles. I also enjoy the last issue very much. The other two, um, I was a little more bored in, um, I think, because they were telling me a story I wasn't... I already know, and in the backstory part with the family wasn't interesting enough to really keep me going. But on a whole, Mm -hmm. man, I'd I'd say, goodness, um, I would give this eight and a half glasses of blood wine out of ten. Um, I think it's uh, it's well worth, uh, you know, getting a peek into, taking a look at, buying. Uh, I really enjoyed it, Chris, uh, on a whole. What about you? Yeah, I I think, I don't know, I think you like the DC comic a little bit more than I do, but it was an interesting story and it pulled you right through and it did feel maybe more like a story. Mm-hmm. In terms of, you know, we talked about how the, the the text itself is a lot denser, which is generally the case in the older comics. And so it pulled you right through. And it was, uh, you know, interesting to fill in the gaps after Star Trek II before we get to Star Trek Three. Nice mm-hmm. to see them bring back uh, familiar aliens from yes. the original series. And it has a good message of the cooperation, which was really nice. And then as for Blood Will Tell, I, I like this comic in the fact that it has the sort of bigger picture issue so I can really think more about like, okay, well, how do, how do these events mm-hmm. uh, tie into the Federation, the Klingons, and what's the process of trying to come to a decision that you know is going to have great repercussions for the future as well, as opposed to it being as much of a in-the-moment battle for survival, which is what the uh, the first story was a bit more for me. But... Um, if you like Klingons, I think you'll really enjoy this. I think they get, they did a good job of choosing the story so that there is there are several common threads that run through both the DC comic and the newer IDW one. And I guess I would give this uh, collection overall uh, eight sanded down Klingon forehead ridges. Wow, and that's pretty violent, so goodness. <laughs> that's a serious rating. Yes, no kidding. All right. Well, Matthew, it has been interesting talking about Klingons with you today, but it's not the only thing we've been talking about on the network, not the only thing you and I have been talking about, nor all of our other colleagues around all the various shows. So here are some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Gene Roddenberry. 
I appreciate Gene Roddenberry as a creator because he had a vision and he stuck to it, unlike other creators of other franchises that we won't get into. Who are you talking about, Drew? Not not George Lucas. Earl Grey. Romance on TNG. I got the four pips. I'm I'm ready to settle down now. It wasn't until then that I could get, get stay with one woman. So instead of rings, do they use that last pip on his collar <laughs> as a, the signal of their <laughs> eternal love and devotion together? The orb. The joy and prophecies. <laughs> well, you um, know, I was thinking that Haran was probably not so much a prophet as a Bajoran songwriter who just wrote really bad lyrics. The Ready Room. What you brought up is the exact reason why I like this episode so much, because the essential message is we have to have our good and our not-so-hot qualities to make us who we are. We have to deal with them. And this is just a very extreme version of that. To the journey! Workforce Rewrite. And I'm totally with you about Jaffin. He is like Mark version 2.0. He's just like, he's a little too laid back. He's a little too quick to buy into all of this. Mm -hmm. And I just, yeah, dude, grow a pair. I like the way you put that. Commentary, Trek stars. Black and Cushman, part two. So they were trying to find a replacement, not to play Spock, but to play another Vulcan who would be assigned to the Enterprise. Whoa. And one of the wow. one of the guys they were considering was David Carradine, who went on. What? To oh my God. <laughs> Warp five. Continuity and consequences. It was a place that you generally don't expect Star Trek to go, with a major character for sure, and certainly not for the the period of time mm. that it went on, because you know it starts in fusion. She becomes infected with this Padar syndrome, and then that even leads her to drug addiction. Trek news and views. Looking back at TMP. Oh, okay, we're still talking TMP. I was thinking Janeway's pink nighty. I oh, know. It's like what? <laughs> oh, Janeway's pink nighty. Oh, we cute. Yeah. Yeah. You seem to like it. Uh huh. Yeah, done before. Yeah, yeah. That was that was that was a nice night. Like literary treks. You'll win. It has two sides to it. You know, you can read it as just the fun yacht race which i thought the federation has a biannual sailing competition i did not know this and that's what else is happening on trek.fm so check out all of these shows and get your daily trek talk fix we have new trek talk for you every day of the week and some days we even have two shows and you'll find them in a variety of places including itunes stitcher tune in windows phone xbox zoom you can download or stream from the website many ways for you to get the shows so check out all of those and enjoy all of the star trek discussion here on the network Matthew, let's tell everyone how to contact us if they'd like to share their thoughts on the best of Klingons on con number two. Anything else that we've talked about today, you can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose literary treks. That will come to both Matthew and me by email. You can also send us a voicemail through the website. There is a tab there that you can click and use your webcam's microphone. And then also you can go to our forums at trek.fm slash forums to talk to us and other listeners about the things that we discussed here on the show today. 
in social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. And on Twitter, you'll find us under username trekfm. And also, we'd like to remind you, if you enjoy the show, please drop by iTunes and leave us a star rating and a written review. We'd really like to hear from you, and that does help other listeners find the show as they search through the iTunes store. Now, Matthew, when you're not, you know, sitting down with uh, hot Klingon women to tell stories of yesteryear, where can people find you? Well, Chris, uh, if you do want to look me up, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02, tweeting about all sorts of different things. I apologize right now. It's all Doctor Who. Uh, I'm in a big uh, watch of that, so I'm just going to apologize to anyone right now for that. Uh, you can also check me out at uh, The Orb, where Chris and I talk Deep Space Nine all the time. So if you enjoyed the little tidbits we talked about about Deep Space Nine, you're going to want to join us there, because that's what we talk about every single week on The Orb. Now, Chris, when you are not hanging out and uh, trying to find that one Klingon that you're going to be able to find love with, where can people find you? <laughs> You can find me on Twitter as well. My username is C Brian Jones. That's a letter C and Brian with a Y. And you can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username and on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And on the network, besides doing the orb with you, Matthew, you'll find me every week on Warp 5 with Kate Walsh, where we talk exclusively about Enterprise. You'll find me on my interview show, Matter Stream, where I talk to creatives and scientists and actors and people like that. And of course, you'll find me on The Ready Room with Matthew Sometimes and all the hosts from all around the network, as well as special guests where we talk about Star Trek news and all five live action Star Trek series. Also, Matthew, before we let everyone go, we'd like to ask you to please support our sponsor for this week's show. Our sponsor makes it possible for us to bring literary treks to you every week. And first, there is Squarespace, the web's best hosting in CMS that makes it simple for you to create a beautiful blog, website portfolio, really anything you want, an online store, of course, with the incredible commerce feature. The best way to find out how easy it is to create your own space with Squarespace is to try it free for 14 days. And you can do that by going to squarespace.com, get that free 14-day trial. You just need your email address and your name to get that set up. And then when you sign up, you can use offer code TREK11 to save 10% off your lifetime purchase on new accounts and choose the annual plan to get a free custom domain registration as well. So we really thank Squarespace for their support of literary treks. And also, Matthew, we have another sponsor, and that is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. I know you read a lot, Matthew, but um, you know, audiobooks can help you even double or triple or quadruple the amount of books you read as you commute, go back and forth to work, or um, you know, if you're in a situation where you can listen as you're working at your desk. Audiobooks are a great source for that as well. And Audible has over 150,000 titles to choose from, with new titles coming every week, from classics to current bestsellers, and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World. Audible has something for everyone. And, you know, today we talked all about Klingons. There are a lot of Star Trek novels on Audible where you can get some more Klingons in your life if that's what you're looking for. So, Try it out. As a Trek Film listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with the 30-day trial to see how great Audible is. Go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm to get that free trial. And we really thank Audible for their support of Literary Treks and Trek FM. And again, you'll get that at audibletrial.com slash trekfm. 
And lastly, there's one more way you can directly help us keep literary treks coming to you each week, and that is by adopting some aliens. These are original alien illustrations by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the artwork that you see on our website. And we've even got a Klingon in there, Matthew. So there you go. It, it's not Kalin from today's comic, uh, but it is a, <laughs> a great Klingon nevertheless. So maybe, Matthew, I need to see if, if I can actually get a Kalin illustration done just for you. Oh, that would be great. I'd love that. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be perfect for you. But uh, we have eight different aliens in total right now that you can choose from. And you'll find those at trek.afilm slash donate. You can get them as badges or art prints. Choose which ones you want. There are different contribution levels that you can choose from as well. And your support helps us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring the show to you each week. So again, check those out over at trek.afilm slash donate. And we really thank you for helping us keep the network going. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And until next time. Live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one. Maybe he is an Andorian and he's been surgically altered to look human or something kind of like Darwin was in the comic that we'll, we'll get to later. Wait, wait, the guy I don't Bryce? Know, because he the, likes to fight. She's a girl. Bryce is oh, a chick. hold on. What's the guy's name here? Uh, Bearclaw. Bearclaw. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Bryce, Bryce has boobs, Chris. <laughs> Maybe Bearclaw <laughs> does too. We just can't see him. Because he's wearing his man's ear. Yes, yes. 